Welcome to a Bible study on the upcoming Sunday Gospel reading. This is a recording of a Bible study I do every week in person at St. Timothy Catholic Church in Laguna Niguel, and you would be most welcome. Just email me for the details. But it is here for you to benefit from, and I hope it enhances your experience of the Mass. So without further ado, enjoy a recording of this study on the upcoming Sunday Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this Bible study, for the gift of your word. I pray, Lord, that every person watching this would know that you are with them and that you love them. That whatever they're going through in their lives, they would be encouraged in knowing that you have overcome the world. And that you already have a plan and a purpose for their lives and a plan and a purpose to deliver them from anything that they are going through. I pray, Lord, as we dive into your word, that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts and help our ears to be ready to listen and receive whatever you have in store for each one of us. Speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. If there's anything causing us anxiety, worry, or to be distracted, Lord, we ask that you remove those things from our minds to help us be focused on this time in your word. And we lay this time, Lord, at your feet praying that your will be done. We ask all of this in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome. It happened. I lost the recording for our Bible study this week. So I apologize. This is coming to you a little bit later. And I also apologize because it was an incredible Bible study. So you missed out. It's just a another reminder, if you're able, to please come and participate in person. But I didn't want to leave you hanging, so I'm here recording a second Bible study just for you so that you can dive into this upcoming Sunday Gospel. So we are in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. This is the parable of the talents. You've probably heard it many times before. Again, as I always encourage you, try and remove any previous image you have in your mind of the story, any preconceived notions, anything that you've reflected on before, and allow God to speak to you in a new way. A little bit of context, this is happening in the midst of Jesus' final discourse. He has five teaching discourses in the Gospel of Matthew, and this is his last one, and it's called his eschatological discourse, which eschatology is all about end times. So it's all about the times that are to come, the second coming, the end of the world, what will happen. And there's a series of four parables that we've been reading. Last week we read the second parable, this week we read the third parable, which is the parable of the talents, reminding us how we are to prepare and be ready for the end whenever that may be. At the time this is being spoken, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives just with his disciples, telling them about this time that is to come. And so he reveals to them these different parables, each of which culminating and building on the previous ones. And so this is what he offers us in the gospel this week. First time through, just listen to what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven will be as when a man who was going on a journey, called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. 
But the man who received the one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share in your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share in your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're going to read this a second time. I know it's a longer gospel, but we always read it twice because we want to listen this time particularly for what stands out to you personally. This is not to theologically interpret or reflect on the passage any longer. This is for you to really, now that you have an image of this in your mind, really just listen more deeply. What is God trying to say to you? What word, simple detail, phrase, or image resonates with you, connects with something going on in your life, where God might be speaking directly to you through this passage. Pay attention to those things. Reflect on them. Ask God, why is this standing out to me? What are you trying to say to me, Lord? Our second and final time through the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. The kingdom of heaven will be as when a man who was going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two, but the, the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share in your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you to take a few moments to reflect back on the passage uh, and what stood out to you. Now would be a great time to pause the video and do that and discuss maybe with the people you are with what stood out to you and why, what questions do you have about this reading, and then shortly we will go forward into uh, breaking down this passage verse by verse and hopefully answering many of those questions. So if you have not yet done so, now is a great time to pause this video. And if you didn't, or you did pause it, welcome back. We're going to dive in to this passage verse by verse and see what the Lord has in store for us. So the parable of the talents, again, another parable about what is to come. The previous parables that we've talked about, um, the first parable that we didn't read in the Sunday Gospels was about um, if we're able to obey the orders of our master. It was about the faithful and unfaithful servant. And last week's parable about uh, the parable of the ten virgins, that was about are we able to faithfully do what God is asking us to do? Are we able to put in the work to be prepared to do things that are wise and prudent in our preparation? Today is very specifically, this gospel this week, is about stewardship. What are you doing with what has been entrusted to you? So a steward was a representative of a king. And when a steward went to a town to announce that the king was going to come or have a decree or something like that, it was normal hospitality to treat that steward as if they were the king themselves. And so you've been given a stewardship, not only of your gifts, your talents, your blessings, your abundance, everything in your life, but also you carry Christ with you everywhere you go and you have the opportunity to bring him to others or to be an obstacle to people seeing him in you. And at the end of our life, we're going to be judged. The accounts will be settled as to how we did that. And if we show up at our judgment saying, Look, Lord, look at everything I did with everything I had, and we don't recognize, no, you gave this to me in the first place. Then we're going to be sorrowly uh, surprised when we recognize the only thing that we can claim ownership of is our sin. God gave us everything. He gave us free will. He gave us life. He gave us our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our blessings, all of which helped us to achieve our careers, money. So all of that is from the Lord. Our family, our relationships, friendships, our vocation, it's all from the Lord. The only thing that I can do on my own is to sin. I can use those things in a way that they weren't created for, and I can create something new, something apart from God, something sinful. And so if I show up to my judgment with a resume of look, what all, look at everything I did of my own accord and my own ability, and I don't acknowledge what God has given me, then I'm going to be, like I said, pretty surprised at the judgment of the Lord. 
So we have to recognize, first and foremost, everything comes from God. But then the question has to be, what am I doing with what God has given me? What am I doing with what God has given me? We'll talk more about that, but that's generally uh, what this passage is about. So the kingdom of heaven will be as when a man, Jesus, who was going on a journey, ascending into heaven, called in his servants, the Christians, and entrusted his possessions to them, the church and the, the Holy Spirit. The church and all its possessions, all of their abilities, and the Holy Spirit. And we'll, we'll talk about why in a moment. We know that the Holy Spirit's included in this. So it says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. So what is a talent? So today we have this kind of common, uh, what's called a, um, an, uh, what is that called? Uh, a cognate, when there's a word that sounds like something else, but it's not what it really means. So we think of this, we might think of this as like, oh, God gave us talents as in abilities. But a talent at this time was a unit of weight. And it was believed to be however much a man can carry. And then eventually, because different men can carry different amounts, that got solidified into a unit of measurement that was synonymous with an amount of money. So one talent at this time was a denomination of currency that was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. And a denarii was one day's wage. So if 6,000 days wages is one talent and there are six work days in a week, that accounts to about 15 to 20 years worth of salary or wages for a person. One talent. So the, to the one he gives five, he gives up to 100 years salary. To the one he gives two, up to 40 years salary. To the one he gives one, 20 years salary, an immense amount of money. If someone walked up to you and gave you 20 years salary, would your first thought be, ah, oh, thank you, Lord, for the stewardship that I have been given. How can I use this to bless others? Most of us, even though we would probably, the best of us would donate some and be generous with it, we'd probably also be thinking about, oh, I can pay off that debt. I can buy a house. I can go on vacation. I can treat myself. I can be comfortable for once. And we'd be thinking about how this is used for us. And that is where stewardship reminds us that everything that we have been given is for the kingdom of God and for others, to be given back to God to glorify him. And the more we use it for ourselves and only ourselves, the more we can fall into this area of pride or um, self-absorption, where I think I can earn my right to heaven. I think I'm building this resume of everything that earns me my salvation. And that is not at all in line with what Jesus reveals in the gospels. So that's what a talent is. That's an, it's a an crazy amount of money. And then he gives each according to his ability. Now recognize this. God is not going to call you to more than you can handle without him. He will give you exactly what you are capable of in that moment. He will give you the gifts and the calling that you are capable of in that moment. It doesn't mean you're not called to grow, but he's not going to burden you with something that would be impossible for you. You will need his help to endure it. Okay, you are not, you can, we can't do anything apart from God. That's in John 16, verse 33. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh no, that's not 33, but it's in John 16. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that we recognize everything Everything that we are, everything that we are capable of is because of the blessing and the abundance of God. And he's going to dole that out according to our ability. But the interesting thing about this word ability is that it's the word dunamis. And the word dunamis is usually translated as power. And it's specifically translated that way at the actual ascension. So this is a parable about a man going on a journey and being away for a while, when Jesus is going on the journey of the ascension to be away for a while before he comes back, he tells his apostles in Acts chapter 1, 
verse 8, he says, stay in Jerusalem. And then he says, but you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's telling them, you are going to get the power of the Holy Spirit so you can go evangelize. Later on, when it says that these people went off and they gained back or they made another five or another two talents, the language there for gaining back is the word ekerdesin in Greek. And that's the same word that's used in Matthew 18 when you are correcting a brother. And it says that you have won him back. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother, ekerdesin. So we can also interpret this passage to recognize that we have a responsibility by being given the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples and that we can let that Holy Spirit lie dormant in us or we can use those gifts. Now we all, by virtue of the sacraments of baptism and confirmation, have the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? We have wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, fortitude, piety, fear of the Lord. We have all of those things. And we're meant to all go bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, uh, faithfulness, chastity, modesty, and self-control. And another one that I forgot. Goodness, I think I forgot. So there's 12 of them. We're meant to go bear these fruits of the Holy Spirit out in the world. Okay? But you have also been given charisms of the Holy Spirit that are unique to you. Unique combinations of gifts that only you have that combination and only you are able to use it in the way that God has ordained for his plan. It's like this giant puzzle, and there's a piece missing, and you are that piece, and no other piece will fit. And I bring this up because giving to each according to his ability is a recognition that you are not meant to live out your spiritual gifts or your faith life like other people. You may look at the people investments or the people on video screens or the people with microphones or the people with the theology degrees, and you might say, well, I can't be holy or I can't be used or I can't lead a Bible study or evangelize because I'm not like them. I don't have those gifts. I can't teach. I can't come up with the answers off the top of my head. I don't know the Bible that well. God can't use me. And that is a lie from the enemy. You have gifts that God has given you that you can use now, even in your brokenness, even in your sin. There have been incredible sinners in the history of the church who became saints. You know, St. Mark uh, Tijuan, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, I think it's uh, Tijuan, uh, was in China, and he was addicted to opium his entire life, even to the point of his death, and he died, and he's now a saint in the Catholic Church. St. Bertolo Longo was a former satanic priest. St. Mary of Egypt was a prostitute tempting pilgrims on their way to the Holy Land and had a conversion in the tomb of the Holy Sepulchre, and then went out in the desert as a desert mother for like 40 years. Great sinners can still do great things. God is not waiting until he can work in your life and work through you. He can work in your life and through you now. So do not believe that lie that you are not ready, that you are not good enough, that you are not gifted enough. God has given you all that you need. Are you allowing those gifts to be open and unlocked and used in your life in a powerful way so that others might know the glory of God? How do you know if something's a charism of the Holy Spirit? Three F's. Your feeling, the fruit, and the feedback. Okay? If you're using this gift, there are things that you do in your life where the feeling is, this energizes me. I could do this forever. I get excited about this. I don't get burnt out or tired doing this type of thing. Whether it's relationally, conversationally, 
the work that you do, the ministry, the volunteering, whatever it is. What are those things in your life that produce that feeling? The other F, fruit. Does it bear fruit? Is it growing? Does it bring people joy? And then feedback. Do other people observe that same thing about you? You seem really energized when you do this. You really have a gift for X. It might not surprise you to know that one of my charisms is teaching. And that's not to toot my own horn. That's something that God has given me. Anything that you experience is a blessing through these Bible studies. That's a gift from God. That's God working through me. All I am doing is just getting out of the way so he can do what only he can do. He is the one that has given me this ability. I have cultivated it and honed it in a way where I've learned how to use it and I've created or taken opportunities to use it for his glory. But the ability comes from him. And it produces that feeling in me. I see the fruit of it and I get the feedback of people saying that they've benefited from these things. And again, that's not to toot my horn or for my own glory. That's for God's glory to show that God really is at work through that charism. So what are those things for you? What is God producing in your own life according to your own dunamis, power? Not just ability or capability, but the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And that is something that will grow throughout your life. And then the responsibility and the gifts that you are given will also potentially grow throughout your life. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received the five talents went and traded with them. The word there for traded in Greek is ergasato. It means he worked. He worked. He went to work trying to multiply these, and he made another five. Likewise, the one who had received two, he does the same thing. But the man who received one went off, dug a hole in the ground, and buried his master's money. Okay, This was a common thing to do at this time to keep money safe. If people didn't trust banks, there was a lot of corruption at the time, especially if you were going to a bank run by an institution that didn't have values or was corrupted, or people were skimming some off the top for themselves, charging interest. Uh, to you. Those things are forbidden by the Torah. It's the, it's the uh, sin of usury that the Jews were forbidden from doing, but they may not have been the ones running the institutions. So sometimes people did this as a recourse to keep their money safe. However, if we take this as the gifts that we've been given, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the blessing God has given to us, it's been given to us not to be buried in the ground, okay? To be used, to be used. So fear is what leads this servant to do this. And we'll talk about uh, that more in a minute. But notice these kind of progressive, more forward-thinking uh, actions of the first and second servant. They went, they traded, they made more. And then notice the regressive actions of the third servant. He went away. He dug the earth. He hid. He hid. Notice that same language from the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sin, what is the first thing that they do? They noticed that they were naked, and so they hid themselves. They hid themselves in shame. That is not what we are meant to do with the glorious gifts that God has given us. It was made for abundance, for fruitfulness, for life, not for shame, not to use for our own purposes or for our own pleasure, but to be used to glorify God and to obey his commandments, to go forth, to be fruitful and to multiply and to enjoy the earth and creation that he's given us. Adam and Eve didn't do that. They experienced the same regressive actions and consequences, just like the third servant in this story. After a long time, now recognize the master at this time, Jesus, um, he's ascended into heaven. And at this time, the community that Matthew is writing to, they believed that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. Jesus didn't say that, but you could interpret certain things that he said and make them believe that. And so it was an easy misunderstanding. So Matthew here is telling them, what are you to do if the master's delayed a long time? Are you waiting around? Are you resting on your laurels? Are you being comfortable? 
what's going to happen when he comes and he settles accounts. That's often an analogy for judgment that's used in Joel chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, Zephaniah chapter 1, about settling accounts, that moment of judgment coming where our sins and our good deeds are weighed and judged. And we'll hear more about that in the gospel for next week. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. Recognize, God was first. We only have the capability of doing anything good because God initiated that in us. And so he recognizes, this is from you. This is not my own ability at work, my own you know, effort. I could only be capable of anything because of you. You gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. Man, don't you want to hear those words? I read that as I was preparing for this, and I was just, I was comforted in the warmth of knowing and hoping one day I will hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Hear hear the Lord saying that to you. Are you being good? Are you being faithful? Use that as a litmus test for your life. When God says that to you, is that Are those words that you've longed to hear, to be recognized for all that you do? Are those words that are kind of jarring because you're like, I don't really feel that good or faithful? Maybe they're challenging you to who you were created to be, to the type of servant of God that you were called to be. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. This is such a great lesson in discernment, that if you're making decisions, if you're worried about the Lord's will for your life, you're trying to discern your vocation, your job, what college you're going to, whether you're, uh, it's time to have another child, whether it's time to move, where God is calling you in this season of your life, how to evangelize your children that have fallen away, your grandchildren, uh, whether to be involved in this ministry or not, whether to be committed to this thing or to that thing, what to do with your time in retirement. All of these things are questions where we might go to the Lord and seek His will, and we might be confused or discouraged if we don't have the assurance of some kind of answer. The best way to know God's will is to fulfill God's will in the small responsibilities He's given you every single day. You are building a habit and a discipline of faithfulness. So, do the dishes. Do your homework. Make your bed. Clean your house. Call your parents. Spend time with your friends. Hug your children. Cook yourself good meals. Exercise. Get to work on time. Do the job that has been given to you and do it well and meet the deadlines. Do the responsibilities that have been entrusted to you. Mow the lawn. Obey your HOA regulations. Oh, that was hard to say. But, you know, those things. Obey the law. Those are the responsibilities given to you. In whatever your vocation, in whatever place you live, as a citizen, as a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, a grandmother, grandfather, whatever it is, a friend, a spouse, what are your responsibilities in those relationships, in your job, or as a student? If you're faithful in those ways, you're building the habit of discipline. So when God reveals to you something, it's easier to be faithful. It's easier to discern his will. It's easier to show up and do the work when the hard things come because you've been so used to doing them in the little things. If someone cheats on all of their uh, significant others in every relationship they've ever been in, and then they meet the person that they think is the one and they want to marry them, there's not a good chance that they're not going to cheat again. Even though they've decided, like, I think this is who I want to marry, they still need to build up the habit of self-control and discipline. They need to be able to go through a process or show the spouse, I'm not doing the things that I used to do, and I'm setting boundaries, I'm changing my behavior, and I'm being faithful to you. Otherwise, there's no 
premise to believe that they're going to change at all. The same thing is true in discernment. If you're waiting for God to allow something to fall in your lap and to give you an answer for a big question, maybe it's difficult to see where he's calling you or leading. Maybe it's difficult to listen because you haven't been listening or been faithful in the smaller things in your life. And so this is a great lesson in discernment, how to know God's will in your life. Be faithful in the small things, and then God gives great responsibilities because he knows now we have the discipline to be able to handle them and be faithful to them. Come share in your master's joy. Now, your master's joy, obviously an analogy for heaven, but notice what happens there. I will give you great responsibilities. Come share in your master's joy. It's an interesting thought that kind of implies that there will be work in heaven. Now, I'm not talking labor-intensive work that we hate. You know, I always like to say, in heaven, there'll be no more emails. Like, praise God for that. No more emails. Like, it won't be something that we're dreading. And I think, like, we lose this. We all have this idea, hopefully, that we're all part of the body of Christ on earth, that we all have our role, and that, you know, maybe you're a toe, and you're an eyeball, and you're, you know, the liver, or whatever it is. We all need to cooperate and work together in order for the body of Christ to function. But then we have this idea of heaven that like suddenly we're kind of like a convalescent body where we're all relaxing on the clouds and just experiencing pleasure and doing nothing and just having joy and Jesus is still the one working. Like if God gave us in the Garden of Eden, in this divine sinless environment, the things that we were created for, the three L's, love, labor, and leisure, we can probably assume that those three things exist in an even more glorified form in heaven. That there will, be, there will obviously be love because we'll be in perfect relationship with God who is love. There will obviously be leisure because we obviously think about that all the time, the rest and the comfort and the joy of heaven. But there will probably be some kind of labor as well, some responsibility, something that you know, we, we use or do in our time in heaven to glorify God. Whatever that is, we're going to enjoy it. It's not going to be painstaking or difficult or labor intensive. It will be part of that whole pleasurable experience of heaven. But it's interesting that we often think that that's not the case, but Jesus here is using particular language to infer that that could be the reality. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward. He says, likewise, notice that the language to the one who was given less talents, who was faithful, is the same. It's the same. So if you, brothers and sisters, if you tend to fall into this trap of comparison, I need to be holy like that person. Look at all the gifts that person has. I don't have those gifts. Good. You don't have those gifts for a reason. You have an unrepeatable part to play and a unique role to play in the mission of God and his plan for salvation and his plan to build the kingdom on earth. That, that's you. You can't do it like anyone else. You can't do anyone else's job. They can't do your part better than you. Blessed Carlo Acutis, he was a teenager when he died. He was born after I was born. He's already passed away. He's already on his path to sainthood. He's blessed. A miracle has already been attributed to his intercession in heaven. He built a website as a young man of all the Eucharistic miracles that have happened. We have video footage of him playing video games with his friends. He's a very cool, modern, young saint. But there's a quote that's often attributed to him. I don't know if he actually said it, but it's attributed to him uh, where he said, apparently, that every single one of us is born and original, but most of us die photocopies. We try and be like everybody else and we lose the originality, the purpose, the unique plan that God has for us. And we throw away our gifts and we throw away our abundance and our blessing to try and strive for what everyone else has. 
We have it in every part of life, in social media in comparison. How does my lawn look according to the neighbors? The Christmas decorations we put up in our neighborhoods. How does my family look out in public? The Christmas cards, the photos. Do we look polished? Do we look like a family that's impressive to other people? The cars that we drive, etc. And if we fall into that trap of comparison, that is exactly what the devil wants. The devil wants you to think that you need to do anything but be yourself. He wants you to try and be anybody else. He will even be totally fine with you being surrounded by very holy examples and people in your life as long as you continue to believe that in order to be faithful, in order to have a good prayer life or a good relationship with God, I need to be just like them. No. You need to do it in the way that God is calling you. Yes, you need to do it in conformity with the teachings of the church, but there are an abundance of spiritual practices and traditions in the Catholic Church that might bring life to your spirituality. There are an abundance of spiritual gifts, some of which you have, that are going to be unique to you and not similar in the same combination to anyone around you. So there's no reason why you should live that out, or you should live out your faith differently. Last night at Bible study, uh, the analogy was brought up of running the race. And I, I use this analogy of, you know, if I had a friend who ran an Ironman triathlon every year, I probably wouldn't have this friend because... That's just bizarre to me that people would do that. But, you know, I'll be friends with anybody. But um, if they invited me to do this in real life, I would say no. But let's just say for the sake of the story, I said yes. We would train together. They would teach me. I would learn from their way of doing this, and I would find a way to adapt it to my ability. But when it came time for the day of the race, I'm not expecting to keep up with my friend. And my friend shouldn't be holding back to be with me the entire time. We're both going to run our own race. And eventually, we'll hopefully both get to that finish line. But the route we take, the way we do it, the way we endure, the gifts that we use, the endurance that we use, it will be different for both of us. The same thing is true for you and for me. You cannot run anyone else's race. Your race is not going to look the same as theirs. But we are still running a race, and the destination is what matters. So surround yourself with people who are running toward that same destination, but don't fall into the trap of acting like I have to run it the same way as them. Because no matter what you're given according to your ability, you will hear these same words if you do faithfully what God has asked you to do by being a good steward of the gifts he's given you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share in your master's joy. Verse 22, then the one who had received, or I'm sorry, verse 24, then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person. Now, this word demanding is skleros in Greek. It means harsh, hard, or severe. Now, we can fall into a trap of being like, whoa, is Jesus hard, harsh, or severe? Is Jesus saying, like, God is going to be very severe to us? And this doesn't seem like very Jesus-y behavior, harvesting where you did not plant, gathering where you did not scatter. What's going on here? And Jesus is using this as an analogy, and it's a style of argumentation he uses in other parables called argumentum a fortiori. It's an argument for the stronger. And how this works is Jesus will present an earthly example, and he'll say, if X applies in this very broken situation, how much more will X apply in the perfect situation of God or of heaven? So the example of this is the dishonest judge. When the persistent widow comes to the dishonest judge knocking at his door, the dishonest judge like doesn't care, but he says, I will render a just decision for her so she'll stop bothering me. Then Jesus says, how much more will your father in heaven who loves you grant you what you ask him when you persevere in prayer? So Jesus is saying, 
I'm not like the dishonest judge, but even if a dishonest judge will do this, how much more will an honest judge, an honest and loving God do this in your life? The same thing is true here. Jesus is not a harsh, hard, or severe demanding master. But he's saying, if a harsh, severe demanding master is ensuring that justice and fairness are going to happen based on the stewardship of the gifts that he's given, how much more will a God who is perfectly just and has given you even more abundant blessings need to have a conversation about how they are used? Okay, that's the argument using here. So we don't want to compare this master to Jesus directly in quality, but we want to recognize if this is true in this broken earthly situation, it's probably going to be even more true in the loving situation of God because God is perfect in his justice. It won't be because of his harsh or demanding or severe nature, but it will be because of the demanding nature of all of the blessing and abundance we've been given and that that bears a responsibility. And that if we fail in a responsibility, that's a man's justice. God still has mercy, but we still have to obey the things that he's asked us to do. So, um, harvesting where you did not plant, uh, gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Fear is the opposite of love. You might say, no, hate is the opposite of love. Well, hate and love are both actions. They're both choices. They both compel you to act in a certain way. Fear compels you to freeze. Fear makes you isolated. It makes you do nothing. It inhibits you from action. So it is almost better for you to hate so that that energy can be redirected than for you to be frozen in fear. It's kind of like the language of Revelation 3.16. I would rather you be hot or cold, but if you were lukewarm, if you're in the middle and you're not doing anything, I will spit you out of my mouth. God can use your momentum. Sometimes it's better to just run even in the wrong direction because God can reorient your momentum a lot more easily than he can convince you to get up off your idol behind and try and act. So I use this analogy all the time. If you're stranded on the ocean on a sailboat, you can put up your sail and go in the wrong direction and eventually you can course correct and get where you need to go, find help. But if you never put up the sail, you're going to be lost. The same thing is true with fear. Fear causes you to never put up your sail. If we put up our sail and we let the Holy Spirit direct us, or we let the action that, you know, our own action and our own effort direct us, even if we start going in the wrong direction, it's sometimes way easier to just turn around than it is to sit idly by and do nothing. That will lead us nowhere. Fear is one of the primary causes that leads most of us to sin because fear then turns us inward and makes us protect and makes us afraid. And then when other things happen, we respond out of that fear, often not in a charitable way. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, you wicked and lazy servant. This is another reason you know that this master is not a direct correlation to Jesus. He's just an, an earthly example of a situation because we can't imagine a situation where Jesus would use those words. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant, gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? There needs to be fruit. There needs to be something that we have to show for the gifts that God has given us. Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now does this is not biblical recourse to say that the more you follow Jesus, the more rich you will be, the more money you will have. No. He's saying, whoever is rich in the abundance from using their gifts, more blessing and more responsibility will be given to them. But no matter what responsibility you are given, if you let it lie dormant or you don't use it, 
or if you only use it for selfish purposes, you spend it all. There could have easily been a fourth servant in the story who's just like, I took the talent you gave me and I just enjoyed it. I spent it all, kind of like the prodigal son. And we know how that would have ended up as well. He would have been judged in this situation. Yes, he would have been received with mercy if he repented, but he would have ended up in the stall with the pigs, completely destitute, and probably in the same boat as this third servant. So, uh, this doesn't mean that we will prosper. This is not a prosperity gospel or health and wealth gospel, a proof text for those kind of beliefs. No, this is about the works that you are doing, and God will give you responsibilities in accordance with your ability and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. The more that you receive the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life, the more responsibility and opportunity there will be for the Holy Spirit to continue to work. Throw this useless servant into the darkness outside where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. And that is obviously an analogy for hell. That God will place the judgment upon us. He will declare the judgment, but the action and the choice is our own. The servant was given every opportunity to do well. He was given 20 years salary. And he was told, go, I'm entrusting this to you. Be a good steward of it. And he saw the example of those around him multiplying it, and yet he let fear get in the way. How many of us let fear get in the way of what God is calling us to? How many of us let, get, let comparison get in the way of who God is calling us to be? So the question I leave you with is, what are the gifts, the blessings of God that are lying dormant or unused in your life? Do you know what your charisms of the Holy Spirit are? Do you know the gifts that God has given you? Where are you being called to use them? Think about those things. Faith, I'm sorry, feeling, fruit, and feedback. Where do you experience those things in your life? And maybe if you're not experiencing any of them, maybe you're not getting out there enough in ministry, in community, in relationship, uh, doing the work of testing out those areas and seeing where you really feel the calling of God at work in your life. But if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And so no matter how old you are, how incapable you feel, even if you have disabilities or things that you think are counting against you, God is still working and seeking to use you, seeking to work through you to bless others. And you can do incredible things that nobody else can do, that nobody else has the capability or the unique combination of talents and gifts to do. Are you squashing that opportunity before you even put them into practice? Or are you using them for His glory? Are you seeing that fruit? How can you pursue that more? What is lying dormant or unused in your life? Where is there a need that you can fill? It's easy to complain and criticize and whine about things not being different. How are you being called to make a difference? How are you being called to potentially be the one who can fix it? Oftentimes we notice the things that our gifts are oriented to correcting, but we can fall into the trap again of just complaining or feeling like, oh, I'm not the person, I'm not holy enough, I don't know enough, I'm not good enough. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those who he calls. You will have everything that you need. He will give it to you. All you need to do is to be open to the direction of the Holy Spirit and begin every day to be faithful in small things so that you will more clearly see the great responsibilities he's calling you to when that time comes. And you will have the discipline and the ability and the awareness of your gifts to be able to do those things. Not falling into comparison, not falling into self-doubt, but knowing that God is calling you to something great. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of this time and study. Thank you for uh, losing the Bible study recording so that we could have this other opportunity to dive into your word. And thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you're calling us to greatness, that you 
You look at every single person in your creation and you love them in a unique and unrepeatable way and that you give them unique and unrepeatable gifts so that we can all contribute in our own unique and unrepeatable way to this incredible plan, this incredible kingdom that you are building. Help us to never let it be lost on us, the unique role that we have to play, and never throw that away out of self-doubt, comparison, worry, anxiety, or feeling like we are not good enough. You are calling us now, even in our brokenness, even in our sin. The power of the Holy Spirit is not confined by our ability, but we have the ability to unleash it. So we pray, God, that you would give us Give us that confidence to do that. Help us to see where your power, your Holy Spirit, our gifts are being unused in our life and to allow them to be unleashed. Bless us each in the ways we most need it until we gather again. And we pray all of these things in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.